Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Rebecca Whitehead Munn. She is an award-winning author and speaker, healthcare change catalyst, and value creator. Rebecca's award-winning debut memoir, The Gift of Goodbye, a story of agape love, released in 2017, is a personal story of walking the end-of-life path with her mother. Her latest book, All of Us Warriors, Cancer Stories of Survival and Loss, includes advice regarding approaching someone you love living with cancer with tips and tricks for helping others feel joy amidst the pain. Rebecca has been a featured Maria Schreiber architect of change on surviving grief and has shared her healing for and shared her healing through yoga stories at mindbodygreen.com. She is a certified end of life diola and holds a certification in the foundation of psycho- positive psychology. Rebecca is also a Nashville Healthcare Council Fellow. She has served in executive roles for several global health organizations, I'm sorry, health company, healthcare companies, most recently United Healthcare, and she is currently the Chief Operating Officer for 180 Health Partners. Rebecca and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her passion for writing about cancer and death to inspire others to be courageous and learn about their loved ones' wishes while creating lasting connections. Good morning, Rebecca. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm doing fabulous. Doing fabulous. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. All of us warriors is extremely insightful. Thank you for taking the time to compose such a heartfelt book. Congratulations on this release. Oh, thank you, Donnie. I appreciate it. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Absolutely. So I grew up in Houston, Texas, uh, in the United States. I'm the youngest of five girls, and we were born all within eight years, so we're very close in age. So life growing up was... um, chaotic and fun and um, always a lot going on. And my um, journey kind of took me to college uh, for undergraduate. And then um, I've lived in Texas, California, Colorado, and now in um, Tennessee, where I have been for 15 years. And I'm I, um have a marketing undergraduate degree and an MBA, and I have a, a lifelong passion for learning. So I've got a lot of other certifications as I've grown and developed. I just find uh, new interests and, and dig in. And, um, and most recently, I'm actually an adjunct professor at a university here in Tennessee. Fantastic. That sounds wonderful. Who were the major influences when you were growing up? Um, that my mother was um, was one, as well as my father, and in in different ways. 
Um, I really, being the youngest of five girls, I grew up um, a daddy's girl. My, I think my father decided that uh, I was his boy that he wasn't going to have. And uh, so he raised me to love sports and uh, taught me about <laughs> business and goal setting. And um, I was never in the kitchen cooking with my mother, for example. <laughs> so um, it's... Uh, you know, just a different a different path, and so I am mm-hmm. still very passionate about sports and um, and am big on setting goals and um, kind of having structure in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I would say he influenced me that way. My mother, I really didn't have a relationship with um, till I became sick. I had a, a knee, had a skiing accident, and had knee surgery. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led to an opening of that. And so she influenced mm-hmm. me later in mm-hmm. life, I would say. Um, my faith uh, probably influenced me. So I grew up in the church and influenced me in different ways, right? I, mm-hmm. I, have, I grew up, you know, going to church and, and then reached a place where saw, I saw what I thought was um, kind of hypocrisy and people going to church but not, like, living Mm-hmm, living what mm-hmm. they would talk about, right, outside of mm-hmm. church. And so then I spent some time away. And I, I, I would say my faith is a combination of traditional principles as well as a lot of metaphysical sure, principles sure. now. But it, it absolutely guides my life. Right? Interesting, very, very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So what made you pursue a marketing degree? Is that because of your dad's influence in a way? <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think it was strongly influenced. And as a matter of fact, I he uh, wanted me to be an accountant and then go to law school. Mm-hmm. And after mm-hmm. my first accounting class, I was like, that is not me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I found my way to marketing, which I, I have a, um, a passion for creating. And mm-hmm. my mind kind of connects, tends to connect seemingly unconnected dots. And through that, it, it just, the marketing seemed to fit with me, right? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was most interested in my international marketing um, mm. class. And that was Very fascinating, that, because I, I had not been outside of the U.S. at that point, And it mm-hmm. really opened my eyes to this global mm-hmm. world that I mm-hmm. have traveled to and, and I love and I'd love to live in other countries someday. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. That's very, very interesting. Did you get into a situation to whereby something swerved you along the way in terms of influencing you in college to whereby you minored in psychology? Um, you know, that's a good question. My oldest sister has a doctorate in clinical psychology, so I bet that that um, influenced me a little. I was, I, I was fascinated by what makes people tick and why mm-hmm. – they do the things they do. And I think part of that is being an observer of the youngest of five (laughs) girls watching all my very different sisters, you know, take different paths and, and do Uh different things. So it fascinated me. And, um, and so I ended up minoring in that. And I think one of my favorite um, courses was uh, environmental psychology Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how they design um, public places the way they do and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what people do when you stand in the middle of a very public 
entryway, like of a mall, right? Mm-hmm. If you just stand there, you know, observing what they do and, and how they react, <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> so you're people watcher, basically. Yes, yes, I, I do love people and I'm trying to figure them, you know, trying to figure people out. And over, you know, in my later years, I, I have really tried to hone my communication style and interaction to the person I'm talking to mm-hmm. um, just so that I can connect right? Because it's, <laughs> it, sometimes it's challenging to connect when you don't do that. So Yeah. But I noticed that if people that has a tendency being a people watcher, so your area of strength, I guess, in the psychology sense point of view is that you are really strong in individualization. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I think that, that makes sense. I, I'll have to I'll have to hold on to that. I've never thought of it that way, and I I think um, I think you're right. And I you know most recently last year I actually got a certification in the foundations of positive psychology. So uh-huh. that's my latest passion and interest on the psychology side. Interesting. Yeah, it's because all about in, mental wellness. Yeah. Right. Versus, right. And in understanding um, your writings and so forth, I just noticed that that's something that you're able to individualize each individual, if that makes sense. And you have to, because mm-hmm. you're writing about people mm-hmm. and understanding them and so forth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say my, you know, when I wrote my first book and I, you know, was working with a um, mm-hmm. editor and she said, you know, your father's character is really not developed. <laughs> Which she said was a very interesting, you know, kind of reaction. And because all my focus was on, you know, my mm-hmm. mother and her right. being ill and walking that end of life mm-hmm. path. So then I went back and, and developed his character. So, yeah, definitely has taught me a lot about individualization for sure. Interesting. When did you develop the love for writing and storytelling as a form of expression? I, I would say that I have always had a passion for writing all my life. I would keep mm-hmm. journals even growing up when I was a young girl. And I I think part of that is the law of numbers. And when you have four other siblings who are, you know, talking a lot, it, I think it was my <laughs> form of expression. It helped uh-huh. me kind of feel like I had a voice, if, if you will. And, uh, and then I would write, I wrote, I've written a book for, for work uh, in a you know, previous work life and mm-hmm. have written, you know, published uh, white papers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've really kind of always written, I would say. Very, very interesting. You're not the sibling that left, you know, little sticky notes. Don't touch this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was not that sibling. <laughs> I think I was more I was more the peacemaker. I just kind of would uh, always try and find you know keep the peace and uh, yeah and followed more than led right because you get left behind if you um, if you don't don't follow. go with the pack so. yeah yeah so true. <laughs> How did your analytical and organizational mindset contribute to your approach? when you found out about your mom's bout with cancer? Hmm. That's, a, that's a great question. So 
I have been working in the healthcare field for 25 years, and I was fortunate to have a lot of connections into, um, you know, world-renowned cancer mm-hmm. centers. And um, so I would say that it really served me well because when she she was diagnosed, when I was going through a divorce with a two-year-old and a four-year-old mm-hmm. and we lived in different states. So it was, she was actually visiting me and helping me through the divorce. My dad and her came to live with me for a little mm-hmm. while and um, she was, I could see that she was in pain. And so that kind of led to, Hey, I think there's really, you like, you need to go home and you need to go get checked out and, she had had a colonoscopy a year and a half before, and they had found polyps, and mm-hmm. they had told her to come back in three years, and it had only been a year and a half. Wow. Um, but she was having bleeding and pelvic pain, and so that was representation of something going on in her lower colon. And yeah. so I sent her home, and she was diagnosed, and um, she lived. In Austin, Texas, that's where my father still lives. We grew up in Houston, but they had moved to Austin. And so she had she had, had breast cancer uh, when I was in college. And so she had an oncologist um, at uh, Methodist in Houston. And um, so anyway, I just, I think it really helped me because I, I could get past the emotion of I kind of shifted into a different brain and said okay she needs the best care that she can get and I don't you know I need to go explore with her so I went to Austin and went to some appointments and um, and it, if you work in healthcare you know about the quality mm-hmm. measures mm-hmm. that the leapfrog group put out and and what it's about is you want a surgeon who does the same procedures all day long, you know, and all to be doing any kind of surgery on you. And then you want a facility that treats those types of patients and those types of cases on a regular basis, because then the uh, nursing care and all the other people around you are very well experienced in that, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of situation. And therefore you get better quality care. So I knew about that. And so I reached out to, one of my clients who was at the Cleveland Clinic and um, he said, you know, well, if I were you, you know, you could definitely come here to Cleveland, but she didn't really want to be displaced that much from Texas. And um, having, you know, grown up in Houston, she felt comfortable going there. So I just asked him for a referral for someone in Houston and found a surgeon that um, did this kind of surgery she needed. Uh, you know, all week long, and then there was a whole um, floor or wing mm-hmm. of Methodist Hospital that that um, also, you know, where he did the the surgery. So we quickly shifted from her going to you know going mm-hmm. to the people in Austin and moved her to Houston. She connected back to with her oncologist, and he was um, really supportive. So I think that it. It kind of helped me structure my approach, if you will, and all the steps I needed to take and then kept me organized because, as mm-hmm. you know, when a loved one is diagnosed with something that sounds very scary, um, 
the fear creeps in and it's really hard to stay grounded and connected, you know? Right. Right. So, so yeah, those skills really helped me. Wonderful. Why did you decide to write the gift of goodbye? Well, it, um, I always had a dream that I would write a book. And mm-hmm. um, as I said, I, I kept journals at different times in my life. I definitely kept one through my divorce and then through the experience with my mom. So she was diagnosed and lived um, almost three years longer. Uh, she was diagnosed with very late stage colon cancer. And, um, and so... I had all these writings and then my mom had her journal. So after she died, I would talk to my friends about, you know, the experience and what I learned and, and they just kept saying, you should write it. You should write a book about this. Like it would be really helpful for people because we don't talk about death. You know, it's just not a, not a comfortable topic for people, even though, you know, a hundred percent of us are going to die at some point. Mm -hmm. And so, I just, you know, so, you know, I should write a book. So I would, over about five years, I would sit down and try and write. And and then I'd hit a, a block, you know, a grief block, and I'd stop. And so I, I sought the advice of a friend of mine, Karen, who had published a book before me, and just said, you know, how do, you, how do I break through this to get the book out, you know, onto paper? Mm-hmm. And she recommended that I start a blog and -hmm. write it on the blog and that that would give me some structure to, you know, and add add kind of a process. So I had no idea what I was doing. I had never (laughs) uh, created a blog, but I just went to the computer and typed in WordPress and found a template and just started writing. And then I Mm -hmm. made a commitment to myself that I was going to write every other weekend when my children were at their dad's mm-hmm. and that was going to be, you know, and I was going to stay committed. So what happened was I, I posted the first post and I actually got comments on it. Like people found it. And I was like, <laughs> How did this happen? And when I, I got my marketing degree, that was way before SEO and tags and all yeah. that. Um, so anyway, long story short, I, I finished the first version of the book in six months. And then I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I need, you know, I, I really want to move forward with this. So I sought the help of um, an editor. I, I actually went to a publisher. So my, my friend who had published mm-hmm. recommended SheWrite.com, uh, which is an online women's community of writers. Mm-hmm. And that was helpful to me. And through that, I found um, Brooke Warner, who um, is an editor. She's also a publisher of a publishing house. But at, I, I was focused on editing and just said, hey, I, you know, I have this book and I'd like to, to get an estimate. And so anyway, a long process of she sent me away and said, you need twice as many words. <laughs> and, and then um, and then they she did like a cursory editorial review and sent me away to um, kind of change the structure. When you write on a blog versus writing on a book, it's a different style, right? Right, so right. I had, to, I had to shift kind of the, the syntax and some of the style. And so then, and then I got to um, the developmental editing and then the book was ready. 
So I would just tell you that, you know, I've mentioned my faith, and I know um, everybody has that they're very different, you know, and it's very unique in terms of their faith. But the process from uh, finishing to publishing was very divinely guided. And, you know, people say it takes four to six years to get a publishing contract. And I finished Mm -hmm. my editing, and I asked the editor – and it wasn't Brooke. It was it was one of her people. I said, so yeah. can you tell me the difference between self-publishing and publishing, you know, with a publishing mm-hmm. house? Mm-hmm. And she said that, you know, there are, there are some differences that obviously there's a cost difference. There's, right. there's time difference. But there's the most important one to me was she said typically a bookstore will not pick up a self-published book and, mm-hmm. and have it in the store. And I'm mm-hmm. a paper book door kind of person so (laughs) that was important to me and I said right well then you know then I I know I want to do that and she said well have you thought about publishing with that with us you know with the publishing Mm -hmm. house we're connected to and I said um how would that work and she said well let me make some inquiries for you and two weeks later I had a contract fantastic and the book came out a year later so you know it's I will say that my marketing degree and my uh, logical kind of mind, how I approach <laughs> things, and, and my business mind really helped me through that process because I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about the publishing industry. And you have to go, you know, you go through all these steps and you, you finish the manuscript way ahead of when it comes mm-hmm. out, way mm-hmm. ahead. And um, so anyway, it's quite a process. And it was a fun <laughs> process. And then I got good feedback, and I was like, well, that, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> and I will Wonderful. tell you, Johnny, the side, the side note I will tell you is that mm-hmm. through the process of writing, found that I moved from living in my head, which is how I right. felt like I grew up, you know, very focused mm-hmm. on business and, and goals and things like that, to living in my heart. It just really expanded my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like just the most incredible blessing of an outcome of writing the book to me. That's beautiful, truly beautiful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Rebecca Whitehead Munn. She is an award-winning author and speaker, healthcare change catalyst, and value creator. Rebecca has been a featured Maria Shriver architect of change on surviving grief and has featured her healing through yoga stories at mindbodygreen.com. She's a certified end-of-life doula and holds a certification in the Foundation of Positive Psychology. Rebecca is also a Nashville Healthcare Fellow health uh, council fellow. She has served in executive roles for several global healthcare companies, most recently United Healthcare, and she is currently the COO of 180 health partners. We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest award-winning book, All of Us Warriors, Cancer Stories of Survival and Loss. Rebecca, what made you write all of us warriors, cancer stories of survival and loss. 
Um, well, I was actually working on a different book um, mm-hmm. at the time. I, you know, I published my um, first book in July of 2017, and I was, I was kind of carrying on from some of the themes about authenticity and living an authentic life and working on that. And then a friend of mine was diagnosed with um, stage four colon cancer, mm-hmm. and she was 40 years old with three children under the age of 12 and I was just sitting quietly one morning meditating and kind of praying for her and for guidance and all of a sudden this idea popped in my head was you should you should write a book about these stories of people experiencing cancer um, and I, I kind of sat there I was by myself in my house and mm-hmm. looked around I was like okay did I really hear that and um, I don't know if you've read or any of the listeners have read um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, but that's one of my favorite books. And she talks in there about how ideas come to people. Is the universe like plants the idea, and if you're a good steward of that idea, you bring it to fruition. And and that's just how it happened. And I and I thought, okay, so if I was going to do that, I had my own experience from two cancer um, experiences with my mother. And then I just started jotting down if I was going to interview people experiencing cancer, what would I ask them? And and it started to give me energy. So in my later years, I've paid a lot more attention to my body and how I react, you know, like how Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. when I'm talking about something. And and so anyway, it it was exciting. And I thought, wow, okay, I think this is what I need to do. I'm being guided to do this. And um, so I, a few days later, I was having lunch with a friend who is a breast cancer survivor. And again, you know, the idea popped in my head, you should get her help um, to, you know, find people to interview and all those things. And so I just looked at her and said, I think I, think I have a job for you and I need your help. And so we... <laughs> We just set out to, um, you know, it was it was one of those very casual things that you just go, okay, how do we find these people? And she knew people from that she had, you know, walked the cancer path with mm-hmm. that she could reach out to. But she and I both just put it out on our social channels and said, you know, I just said I'm working on this book, and if you have a cancer story and are willing to share, um, let us know. And I think we had we had like 18 stories, and then um, then I really thought about it more, and I thought, you know, these are all of stories of survival, and mm-hmm. there is a reality in cancer that some people do die, and it was my mother died, obviously, but mm-hmm. it would be important to include stories from loved ones who had lost um, their loved one to cancer. And I actually had two friends who had lost their um, spouses to cancer. And I just reached out to them, and they were willing to participate. And then um, so we just sat down and started interviewing in 2018 and um, got through all the interviews. I kind of had the base of the book 
and then I, I started the job at United Healthcare, so I um, had to kind of put it on hold. And and then I came into 2019, and I thought, you know, I want my book to be published in 2020, so mm-hmm. I better get <laughs> get back focused <laughs> on it, right? And uh, I submitted the introduction to the pub, same publisher, and it, mm-hmm. the book got green-lighted from the start, and every step has just flowed so easy so that's when I know that it's right and I'm really I'll just be honest you know it's not Mm -hmm. about me it's really about Mm -hmm. all the people and the stories in the book and and my goal is really just to help help others so it's the goal is to help people who have been diagnosed with cancer understand what the journey may be like even knowing that each journey is unique and different there are some similar pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And then also helping loved ones, coworkers, community colleagues know what to do when someone they know has been diagnosed with cancer. Because mm-hmm. the, the natural reaction is fear and to withdraw. Right? Right. Oh, no, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to leave them alone. I don't, you know, I'm so sad for them, I'm, you know, and I don't know what to do. And I'm afraid to say anything because if I say something, I may say the wrong thing. You know, those, those are reactions right. I've seen. That's true. Very, very true. Why the word warriors? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a word that's been used, I think, in different settings. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Rob, my friend Robin, so her her little group of people that were all in chemo together, they named themselves um, the warriors. And for me, I will say, I, I really liked the word warrior because a cancer experience is, is something that is very personal and it's very connected to every part of you, if that makes sense. It's a mind, mm-hmm. body, spirit mm-hmm. uh, experience. And and how you react, you know, what you believe, uh, what you're willing to try, how open you are, um, makes a difference. And so, to me, a warrior is I, I practice yoga, and <laughs> you've you've read in my bio, and so you know, um, I think of warrior from that standpoint, and that's really just being grounded and centered and focused on, you know, your beliefs and who you are. And so that's why the word warrior meant a lot to me. Very, very interesting. When you look back at talking and interviewing all the individuals you talked to for your book, what was it like to listen to the various stories and especially about loss? Um, It was it was very hard. It was very hard. I will say that um, the first interview was a little more surface-based, if that makes sense, right? And then I went back, you know, I, I worked on kind of putting the, the basics of the story together, and then I went back and interviewed each person individually and sometimes a couple of times. And so the initial part, it was very, very um heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, what people went through because I heard 
several stories of, you know, medical errors or people not, you know, imaging centers not calling back when something's wrong with a scan, when they should mm-hmm. have, those kinds of things. You know, my friend Robin was misdiagnosed by a mm-hmm. very major cancer center. And and that that happens. It happens in our life. But I think we think, at least I will speak for myself, that I grew up thinking that medicine is a perfect science and doctors know all. And so you know, they're, they're doing the best they can with the data and science that, that they have access to, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was surprising. It, it was not surprising for me working in healthcare, but it was surprising to hear that as a commonality through many of the stories. And then the follow-on, when I would be working with them through really fleshing out some of the, the details, mm-hmm. I found myself just crying. I mean, I was just on the phone with them, right? Um, (laughs) But I found myself crying through it, and I was grateful they couldn't see me. (laughs) Because (laughs) it, uh, you know, I wanted to stay positive for them. But it it was was tough. I really grew through the process, for sure. Mm -hmm. Listening. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. How do you balance that tenderness and courage, though? How do I balance it? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it's probably not something I've been good at all my life. Uh, I think that I, through writing my first book, it really opened my heart and I experienced life differently. So I think more about the people and the humans mm-hmm. and and where they are. And I use more of my all of my senses to gauge, you know, somebody's body language or the kind of words they say where they're at and Mm -hmm. then try and connect from that standpoint. Very, very interesting. The reality is none of our story, you know, our stories are our stories and they're not wrong because they're our stories. Does that make sense? So I think sometimes, yeah, Yeah. um, we as humans get stuck in the right and wrong and it's really, our, you know, it's our perception of reality is our reality. Mm-hmm. It's the world we're living in. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. just trying to be, I mentioned being a lifelong learner. So in every conversation, I'm just out to learn something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading All of Us Warriors, Cancer Stories of Survival and Loss? Well, I'd I'd like them to to gain probably three main things. One mm-hmm. is um, the knowing that a cancer diagnosis does not define the human. Um, it is just a season in their life. And um, to wrap them with, with love, however that looks like, you know, from the person's standpoint. So that would be one. Um, the second is to engage versus withdraw, even when the fear creeps in. And it's really okay to say, I don't have any words, but I want you to know I'm sad or I'm thinking of you or or something simple like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the third one is, is remembering to try and find joy in the midst of pain. 
mm-hmm. because this human condition, we all experience pain. And if, if there's a way to find moments of joy, then it kind of lessens the, the, the burden that they experience. Right. So true. And I particularly like the second one in the sense that when it's all said and done, I think you would agree with me. True connections are truly made in between the silence, between words. It's the fact yeah, that just being I agree, there. Johnny. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's okay to just be present and not say anything. You're exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So Very true. Good point. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hot Popper. My guest is Rebecca Whitehead Mann. She's an award-winning author and speaker, healthcare catalyst, healthcare change catalyst, and value creator. Rebecca has been a featured Maria Shriver architect of change on surviving grief and has shared her healing through yoga stories at mindbodygreen.com. She's a certified end-of-life doula and holds a certification in the foundations of positive psychology. Rebecca is also a Nashville Healthcare Council Fellow. She has served in executive roles for several global healthcare companies, most recently United Healthcare, and she's currently the Chief Operating Officer for 180 Health Partners. We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest award-winning book, All of Us Warriors, Cancer Stories of Survival and Loss. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Rebecca, what was the most common theme about cancer survivors? I will say of of these stories, and and this was not a, as I mentioned, how how we got the stories was really just putting out the word and and Mm -hmm. people raising their hands. But the common theme is there is an element of some type of faith through each of the stories and through both the stories of survival and loss. So that was interesting for me. Uh, yeah. Different types of faith, you know, different stories, different representations. But even even in one of the ones of loss, you know, the physical kind of manifestation of some kind of sign that a loved, the loved one is connecting with you after they've died. And in that right. story, it was about rainbows, you know. And, and that's what was so special with that for me is that that is what I wrote about in The Gift of Goodbye, is my mother and I had this time to, um, we had become very close uh, before she was diagnosed, and uh, we had all this time to spend to talk about her life and, and process everything we wanted to process, which was an incredible gift to have that time. And mm-hmm. we came up with, the idea of what she would come back to me uh, as after she died, and it was a purple butterfly. And I saw a purple butterfly on the third day after she died, mm-hmm. and I have seen countless bu- purple butterflies after that. So um, that requires a belief in something bigger than yourself, right? Whatever right. that type of faith is. So that was the common theme I saw. Very, very interesting. Your book is beautifully designed because you have the advice for others 
and how others support me and uh, how I support myself from the various stories and contributors. What the what of the, the I think the strength in this is the fact that you have 20 different way of doing things for lack of better terms since there are 20 contributors mm-hmm. here. So there's no mm-hmm. it's not a cookie cutter. You know like hey you just need mm-hmm. to do this, you need to do that. And mm-hmm. that sometimes doesn't really work because it is truly individualized. Mhm. Yeah, I would agree. Because if you think about it, each one of us is an individual. Mm-hmm. Our body makeup is individual, right? It's mm-hmm. unique mm-hmm. to us. How it functions, I mean, the, you know, there's some generalities of how our heart works or, or things like that. But yeah. uh, when you add the each of us live in a different environment and each of us has a different biopsychosocial makeup, right? What are right. kind of emotional outlook. And, um, and therefore, the experience is going to be unique, but there are commonalities. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. and so we we interviewed men and women um, from five different states in the United States is where they live, and they they represent seven different types of cancer and all stages of the disease. So as I mentioned, each story being unique, you you read about there's at least three stage one breast cancer stories mm-hmm. with females. And each one is different, but there's common themes, right? So right. That's, that's right. an interesting, interesting piece of it. Yes, definitely. What advice do you have for those people who are facing a terminal illness? Um, I would say the first thing is really to take stock of who they are in their life. Mm-hmm. and what they want out of the remainder of time that they have, I will say that, and this is probably not a very common statement for, I mean, a very popular statement for physicians, but I also know that people have been diagnosed with terminal illnesses and they have survived. So I also know that's possible, right? So Mm -hmm. I would say take stock of your life and get really grounded in who you are and what's important to you. That would be the first thing I would do. Very interesting. Can you share some advice for people dealing with grief? Um, Yes, I think the the most important piece is to know that grief uh, has its own timeline. It will show up um, sometimes at very inopportune times, and it is not something you necessarily get over. You learn to live differently. So we we all experience changes in our lives every day, and so mm-hmm. the changes that we are used to and comfortable with, such as the sun rising and the sun setting, we don't think of that as grief that we've lost the sun, you know, and now it's dark mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it happens every day. So there, right. there are lots of things in our lives that we don't think about that change, but when it's a, a change that is not something we expect, it sometimes uh, can manifest differently. So people, 
I actually in in the writings I did for Maria Shriver, I grouped mm-hmm. it into three buckets. So they're kind of the silent griever, and these are um, when you when you don't want to share what you're grieving right. about. Right. Um, so journaling or um, you know doing art or playing music or being outdoors, those things really helped me in those times where I didn't want to share. And then there's kind of the situational griever, and that is um, you see the the grief kind of building up, if you will. So maybe a close friend is moving away and you get advance notice or a job is changing and you get advance notice. And that is... Um, that's a little different because you have a little time to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I found that kind of, and this is the planner in me, but I found that <laughs> like thinking through and imagining myself on the other side of that change mm-hmm. and what would that feel like really helped lessen the blow of the grief. Uh, and it enabled me to, to function. And then the, you know, the third is kind of the angry grieving. So this is very sudden, Mm-hmm. Um, grief that is, it, you know, it's, in my grief work, people, you know, want to blame someone or blame the situation or sometimes get angry at right. the person, your loved one, who's trying to support you, right? And that's all right, right. very natural. And I, I think with with that type of grieving, different coping skills are, uh, the you know, really important. And so one that I use, and I still use is when, when grief would show up and I would feel paralyzed. Uh, mm-hmm. And sometimes that would be standing in the grocery store. So I would mm-hmm. go into, you know, three, four times a week. And all of a sudden I didn't know where I was or what I was doing. I would just mm-hmm. say to myself right now, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. And I would just right. focus very intently on my feet and I'm just going to take a step and then another step and then another step. And pretty soon I've kind of moved out of the molasses and into, you know, something more fluid um, and, and, and shifted. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's been a helpful tool. So I think the answer, you can't say one thing is going to help everybody with grief. Right. Grief is very different and unique. But those are three different things that I did that were helpful. Sure. Definitely. One of the things also is we get into this process of all the what ifs should have, could mm-hmm. have. Well, that exactly that doesn't happen. It will never happen. So if you continue to play that part of the equation, you're not getting anywhere. And so if there are tears involved, then let it be tears of joy of what actually happened, pivoting to the mm-hmm. things, remembering the wonderful moments you have. Versus the what ifs, mm-hmm. because the what ifs are exactly what it is. What if? <laughs> mhm, mhm. Yeah, I agree, Johnny. In introspection, what was the most enlightening experience for you in putting together all of us warriors? Well, um, I would say it is how the how it changed me listening to the story. So. Even experiencing what I experienced with my mother through two cancer diagnoses, I've learned so much more. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was finishing the manuscript, my best friend from college was actually diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. 
And it was devastating to me. But here I was, you know, I had all this knowledge from the right. that I just gathered from all these people. And so I honestly approached, I approached him, I still approach him differently because of all the wisdom I learned from mm-hmm. these folks. So I text him often, you know, I try to do it mm-hmm. weekly or I just, you know, call and leave a message. And um, there are many times when we agree that we're going to talk on this day and it doesn't happen. And I just keep showering him with love and I, I mail him cards from time to time. And that's, I think, very different because it, what it helped me see by listening to all these stories is the, the person experiencing the cancer diagnosis, their whole world is changing around them. And right. they're, they're going through so many different things. And, and there are times when they just don't want to talk. Right. They don't want to talk about it. They're kind of tired of talking about it because they're having to start chemo again or they're having to have a different surgery. And it just, you know, so I just realized that my job was to wrap my love around him even at a distance, um, in the best way I knew how, which is I just, when I see things, cool pictures, I'll send it to him and I'll say, hey, I'm thinking about you and hope you're doing well. And 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 this, what I learned from the book, changed that because I would not have reacted this way with him. I know that because I didn't know right. to do that. I would have given space, right? I would have, mm-hmm. I would have withdrawn probably some. So, that's been amazing for me. That's true. And this is an interesting part because we talk about the what is. And then the other side of the equation is also later, later. Well, later never comes. You have to live in the mm-hmm. present moment. Act in the exactly. present moment. <laughs> exactly. So that's the difference. <laughs> exactly. Where can someone, I agree. Where can someone go? to get more information about you, buy your books, and keep up with your latest happenings. Okay. Thank you for asking. I um, have a website that has a blog on it, and I'm pretty active on the blog. And it is Rebecca W. Munn, author, author.com. And then I have a Facebook page, and that's um, Facebook slash Rebecca W. Munn, author. And then I have a Twitter account, and that's at Rebecca W. Munn. I would Wonderful. Love to hear from you. I also have I also have a monthly newsletter, and so you can sign up for the newsletter on my website. Wonderful. And it's what something? Go that, ahead. I'm sorry. That really, mm-hmm. I was just going to make a request that I just mm-hmm. love to hear feedback from people when they mm-hmm. read my books. It's just it it. Uh, I think that's the, the, the kind of inner psychologist in me. I like I just like learning <laughs> how did you receive, you know, what I wrote. Like I right, know how right. I intended to write it, but how is it received? And so I'd love to hear from the listeners. And um, and then you can buy the book on Amazon, as well as Parnassus Books, uh, Barnes and Noble, Indiebound, and Bookshop. It's available through all those. And mm-hmm. my one request is that you'd be willing to take a few minutes and write a review because those mm-hmm. reviews are really helpful to other people. Right. So true. So true. What is next for you? 
You know, that's a good question. I'm I'm still in the midst since the book came out September 1st. I'm still in the midst of um, uh, various uh, joining shows and and writing uh, guest articles and things. And so I'm I'm not sure yet. I'm starting to teach this class that I mentioned in uh, at the end of this month, and mm-hmm. uh, which is this weekend. And then, you know, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm just gonna kind of be let myself be guided to what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Absolutely, I would. I am, And this is something I learned follow, following, you know, writing the gift of goodbye, is I start my day with quiet time. And whether that's meditation or just sitting quietly, it doesn't have to have a fancy name. It's just making time to be quiet and listen mm-hmm. and listen to kind of your own, yourself and, and where you are. And and then be, being grateful. I have a gratitude practice every morning. So I'm grateful for, for all that is. And that helps me kind of start the day with a glass half full mentality mm-hmm. and, um, and focusing and being present on what is and in the moment and turning off the voices of all the things down the road that I don't really need to think about right now. I just need to be present. So that's my recipe for life. Fantastic. That's beautiful. Rebecca, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Thursday morning, November 5th. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Age is Just a Number, 101 Tales of Humor, Wisdom, and Adventure for Life After 60. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Rebecca, it has been a true pleasure Thank you again, and have a very blessed day. Oh, thank you, Johnny. The pleasure has been all mine. I hope you have a blessed day as well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.